Yeah, and I can like even now I can listen to that album and I can like I can hit I can find the moment where my switch like flips because uh, it was darkness and it's it's the moment when the tempo changes in darkness and when it goes from the like the almost ballad like cadence that it has during the verses into the rocker of the chorus for whatever reason like listening to that that song and even that version of that song for the first time that just immediately like whatever it was that had not clicked in my head immediately clicked over And welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and I'm on a roll lately where I am getting to talk to some of my favorite comic book people. And, uh, I, you know, it's kind of like, remember the old... Um, Russ, and I'm going to officially introduce you in a minute, but remember the old, <laughs> hey, you got peanut butter in my chocolate, and you got chocolate in my peanut butter commercials? That's what I feel yeah. like. Comic books, Springsteen. So um, I, Russ Burlington is joining me. He and I have already spent 10 minutes talking before I even hit record. Russ, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, man. It's always, it's, it's, well, I can't say it's always a pleasure, but it's always a pleasure engaging with you. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, for for anyone who has not followed you on Twitter, uh, why don't you give us your elevator pitch? Share a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm the senior staff writer at ComicBook.com, which uh, doesn't really mean anything except that I've been there for a really long time. Uh, uh, and then uh, we were recently, recently three years ago, but uh, bought by CBS Interactive which means that we're now part of kind of that giant family of all that. Uh, and, and so it's always fun when I get to do anything that's kind of indie because I do feel like as the site has gotten bigger and bigger, all of my attention goes to like movies and TV with the biggest possible audience. Yeah. Uh, and so with the, with the pandemic and everything, you can basically see me talking a lot about comic books and like nostalgic movies and other things that normally would have a relatively small audience. But right now it's, Hey, we, we need to be talking about things that exist. Well, and you also every once in a while throw in a Springsteen reference and that's how we met um, via yeah. virtual line is I'm, and I can't remember which article it was, but you, you did something and I went, Hey, you know, and sitting through this. And so we've exchanged emails back and forth and, Finally, um, our schedules worked out, so I am so yeah. glad you're here, and uh, we get to visit a little bit. I, I think uh, it, I think that the one that we met on was actually the, the thing I was talking about before, where I, I had done a slideshow every year since season five of Arrow that was, hey, here's your Arrow Bruce Springsteen playlist, and uh, breaking down uh, the songs that are the penultimate episode of the seasons of Arrow. Yeah, yeah, you you shared that story, but go ahead and reshare it, and then we'll get to. As I said beforehand, we tend to ramble on this show, so yeah. off on tangents. So, yeah, you were explaining. Um, first off, if you are not aware, Arrow is a show that's on CW. It is now, um, it is now ended its run, but it started right. 
uh, CW's, um, you know, the the Arrowverse, and right. um, there um, it appears at least one or two writers, staff writers, or Springsteen fans. So I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, what had happened was that uh, at the end of season one, the penultimate episode uh, was called Darkness on the Edge of Town. And I remember obviously noticing that because uh, that, that's hard to miss. But uh, Brian Keene, who uh, wrote the book Darkness on the Edge of Town, the zombie book, uh, and later The Rising, so clearly he's a Springsteen fan too. But um, – he had, he had just started working in comics. And so I wasn't a hundred percent sure whether it was a, a straight up Bruce reference or whether it was like a Bruce reference by way of this other guy. And, uh, so, but the next year, about halfway through the season, there was an episode called the promise. And so I, uh, we had a reporter who was going to like a, a screening with a Q and a after it in LA. And I sent her a message and I said, Hey, can you make sure to ask whether darkness on the edge of town and the promise are intentional Springsteen references? And uh, the answer that came out was uh, essentially darkness. Yes, the promise. No, that was a happy accident. But there's another Springsteen title coming up later in this season, and uh, that turned out to be the penultimate episode of that season. And it literally just became a thing that they did every single year. Uh, they did not get to do it this year, the, the eighth and final season, because the penultimate episode was a backdoor pilot. Uh, which uh, the show still has not gotten the yes or no as to whether it's going to go forward. It's going to be called Green Arrow and the Canary if it does go forward. And so that was the title that they chose for the backdoor pilot. Uh, but what's funny about it is that when I had spoken with cast and crew at San Diego Comic-Con back, which is like four months before the season starts, uh, or three months, they had told me that the, the title for that episode was actually Living in the Future, because it's set in 2040 and there's flashbacks to the modern day. And so uh, there's a there's that nice little bit where it's like even the one that wasn't named after a Springsteen title, uh, I knew in advance it was supposed to be. I actually had written a story already that was like here's the you know yeah. And, and so when uh, when somebody asked Mark on Twitter, it might have actually been me. I might have been that smartass to like generate my own. Yeah. Uh, but but I couldn't talk about this because it was something that somebody told me just sure. off the record, like sitting at a, at a restaurant or something in, in, in San Diego. But then uh, when the episode title was released and it was not living in the future, I, uh, I asked Mark either in an interview or on Twitter, one of the two, yeah. uh, Hey, is there going to be a Springsteen reference at some point? And he like tweeted, no, it's like living in the future with our title. And it got changed blah, 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 blah. And so then I could write my story and still include living in the future just to say like, hey, everybody, it's out there that, that we know that. Yes, <laughs> uh, absolutely. I, I like to think that Oliver was a huge Bruce fan. So uh, yeah, absolutely. it's it's funny because uh, obviously, I mean, and, and I think it's Mark Guggenheim who inserted. I, I yeah. know it was him that inserted the Springsteen references. I assume yeah. he's the, the big, big fan. Uh, he also is the guy who, if you remember, there was an episode of Arrow where there was a bomber trying to blow up a Billy Joel concert. Yes. <laughs> and at one point they're like standing, you know, backstage or something. And there was audio of a live Billy Joel performance uh, that they had managed to get basically because Billy Joel, I think knows through the grapevine that this producer is a gigantic mega fan. Mm-hmm. And so they, they somehow made it happen for him. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's, that's so great. Um, so you you also wrote a really nice article, Blinded by the Light. 
you've done the review. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. you, you, you. And we talked about that on, I have a movie podcast called the Emerald yeah. City Video Podcast, yeah. uh, which is me and a couple of guys who used to work at a video store with me. And so we named the show after the video store. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Well, good. Um, all right. Well, uh, Russ, I'm glad you're here. Um, I always like to go back to the beginning. So, um, and, and you've said you've you've listened to the show. So, um, go back, uh, a young Russ. You're growing up. What kind of music did your family listen to? Uh, my family listened to a lot of stuff that would have been right at home alongside Springsteen, uh, although not a ton of actually Springsteen. Okay. Uh, my uh, my dad is a huge CCR guy and Rod Stewart. Uh, my mom listened to a lot of the, uh, of more easy listening stuff. Uh, like I remember that, that song, I don't remember who did it, but I remember she used to always have that song. I ain't got nobody. Um, right. and, uh, but, uh, but my dad lived uh, about a half an hour from where he worked. And a lot of the time we would have to go because we didn't have childcare. We would end up going to work with him on days that we didn't have school. Right. So we'd be half an hour in the car one way and a half an hour back, and he's playing like Chronicle or the Wild and Innocent and East Street Shuffle or Maggie Mae. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of my musical tastes were shaped by uh, listening to just tons and tons of uh, of that style of music. Okay. Uh, Steppenwolf was in pretty heavy rotation too. Uh, I think my dad had every one of the like six cassette tapes that were all the exact same track list because M- MCA just kept re-releasing that greatest hits <laughs> album. Yeah, exactly. With different titles. Um, and that's a, so that was the music that I kind of grew up with. My mom didn't listen to a lot of music. She liked, uh, like I said, she, she would have the, the radio on for easy listening, but a lot of the time her favorite stuff was like movie musicals. She lo- she, I, I grew up with her, uh, loving the, like the Tom Sawyer movie from the seventies. Uh, and, I still like. I haven't listened. I haven't watched that movie in probably 20 years, and I can still sing most of those songs back to you because we saw it so many times uh, and stuff like that. But uh, ultimately, the the way I ended up really discovering because I I think Bruce was always like on a list of names. Yeah. Uh, I I very distinctly remember sitting in the car when I was a little kid and uh, listening to. God, it's not growing up. Uh, and of course, I've just completely flaked on which song it was, but it was one of the, the songs off of the early records that is not a huge hit. Uh, yeah. but it, in my head, it was, it was one of his biggest songs. Right. Because it was, it was one of those things where you're just like, Oh, this is the song that my dad has on all the time. Right. Um, and I'm going to pull up a, a set list while I talk because it's driving me crazy that I can't remember. Um, I understand. Oh, well, I, for you. Okay. For you. for you. Yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, yeah. and, and for whatever reason, as a kid, I always thought for you was like a giant hit. I thought that was one of the songs that defined Springsteen. Um, and, uh, I, I remember I got when I was like 11 years old and you can stop me if I'm going into what should be a question instead no, no, of just no, a, you're, you're good. You're fine. Uh, but I, when I was like 11 years old, I got my first CD player and, uh, a lot of the CDs that I, I got with it because we didn't have a ton of money. Uh, we weren't like right. super poor or anything, but we, we often didn't have the nice new stuff. Right. And so I remember like getting a CD player and a bunch of CDs and thinking like, these are the only CDs I'm going to own for a while. Yeah. Um, and it was like, I, I got born to run and born in the USA. I got Chronicle. I got the two disc set that was the Steppenwolf born to be wild, a retrospective, which nice. was 
for their 25th anniversary and it was every essentially major single they'd had and then like a couple of live songs and stuff thrown on the end. Um, and so I, I, I listened to a lot of Born to Run and a lot of Born in the USA because it was one of those, like I had like eight CDs or something and this was in my circulation. Sure. Um, and I, I remember mostly falling in love with like certain songs and not really liking the whole albums at the time. I hadn't clicked first yet. Right. And, uh, and then in, uh, during the uh, Lucky Town Human Touch tour, uh, they had the, uh, the MTV plug special. Right. And I remember I recorded it because even though I wasn't super, super into Bruce, like in my head, he was one of the, the acts that I listened to. And right. so the idea of, yeah, of him being on MTV. Yeah. So you're a casual fan. You absolutely, you yeah. know, you've got the two born, you know, um, CDs and, and yeah, I could see that. Um, you know, just as a side note, when, you know, when I got, um, uh, born to run, as a cassette, you know, um, I probably only listened to Born to Run over and over again, like skip through Thunder Road, you know, just, you know, all these other songs. Cause you know, I've just, I really like that one song. And, uh, so I, I get that. I always had weird ones. Uh, I, for me, I, I remember listening on that CD player tonight over and over again. Okay. How fun. Which I mean, it's- isn't weird because it's a good song, but it yeah. is weird if you're a casual fan who only listens to like two songs off the CD and one of them is Night. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah but, that's kind of cool. So you're 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 expanding. You're going into high school, and I think you were about to t- get into this. So let's you know um, you watched Unplugged, you know, except Plugged, and yeah. um, I take it is that kind of when you got a new appreciation yeah and i can like even now i can listen to that album and i can like i can hit i can find the moment where my switch like flipped okay uh, please share because uh it was darkness um okay and it's it's the moment when the tempo changes in darkness and when it goes from the like the almost ballad like cadence that it has during the verses into the rocker of the chorus yeah uh for whatever reason, like listening to that that song and even that version of that song for the first time, uh, that just immediately, like whatever it was that had not clicked in my head, immediately clicked over. That, uh, yeah, that's great. That's in fact, it's kind of interesting. Um, I tell the story on my Doctor Who podcast uh, that mm-hmm. um, I was a I. I Doctor Who was not in my, you know, I, I, I love Star Trek. I, you know, I, I loved, uh, reading Isaac Asimov and, and Arthur C. Clarke. I mean, I was a huge, you know, science fiction geek, but just somehow Doctor Who had not hit my radar. Yeah. And, um, and a, I, I was, uh, a big Firefly fan and there was a Firefly podcast and somebody, um, sent an email saying that, uh, they thought Captain Jack, from Torchwood and uh, Malcolm Reynolds was the same person and they made the mm-hmm. argument because they both had long coats and da, 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 da. Yeah. And so I, I went to my friend I knew who was this huge Doctor Who fan and I asked Ken, I said, hey, who's this Captain Jack guy? And he goes, oh, he's a character in Torchwood. I said, oh, I'm kind of interested. And so he handed me the Torchwood CDs, yeah. the DVDs, and I watched all of them and I went, hey, I really like this Captain Jack guy. 
what episodes was he on Doctor Who? I might want to watch that. And Ken goes, let's, let's just, go watch him explode on Arrow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so. Um, by the way, got a story about that. So he says, well, it's just easier, and he handed me the Eccleson series, and I became a fan. And so I always say, I got to Doctor Who through Torchwood, which is a little unusual. You got to Bruce yeah. through the other band. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny, actually, you, you say that. I think you told a very condensed, abbreviated version yeah. of the Torchwood story when you were talking to Ron. Yes. Um, I tend to tell the story, yes. Um, and it's funny, Ron and I, um, we have tried twice to go to concerts, and yeah. we've never succeeded. Uh, we live about two and a half, three hours from each other. Okay. Uh, but we're, we've been friendly for years. One time, uh, I actually bought tickets, but it was before everything was computerized. It was yeah. like, so I had, it was like half computerized and half physical. Mm-hmm. And I like bought tickets secondhand from somebody because it had sold out before I could get it. Yeah. And then like, I couldn't get there. Mm-hmm. My car broke down. Or something. There was something, I can't remember what. I just remember being a comedy of errors and exchanging emails and calls with Ron all day long and finally yeah. being like, look, here's the guy's name. Here's his car. Go yeah. get your ticket from him in the, in the parking yeah. lot. How funny. And Ron's just like, Ron's just like, forget it, man. If, I'm, if we can't go together, like if your buddy can sell him, let him. Otherwise, I'll come get, I'll come do it. Um, and I cannot remember if he ever went to that show or not without me. But it was we've we've tried twice, uh, once with Bruce and once with uh, Gaslight Anthem, and it's always like some act of God prevents us from getting there. Yeah. Um, so the the funny story about Malcolm, uh, uh, you know, uh, Merlin, Merlin is um, so I'm, wor- I'm I've got a new job and uh, I've been there since February, and, and one of the guys I work with, John, said. It seems like you're a big Doctor Who fan. I go, yeah, I am. He goes, I've never watched it. What do you recommend? And and I said, I and he just got HBO Plus. And oh. I said, I, I really do. If I said I can give you episodes, but if you're someone who likes doing, just start with the first episode and watch. And so uh, he came back and said, do, do you know this guy's on Arrow? <laughs> like yes, yes I did. <laughs> he said he's really good in this. I go yes, yes he is. He said I loved it's, him in Arrow. Know, it's funny because he is such he has such a broad range because yes. he's a very different character obviously uh, in the Doctor Who universe than he is on Arrow. Yeah, and then you you see him on stage or you meet him in real life and he's so effervescent and flamboyant yes. and it's just like you would not get that from no. <laughs> from his most of his screen appearances. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's really interesting because you look at him when you see him at Comic-Con panels or when you meet him in person, it's like, yeah, you see what a great, what a great, a great actor he is because when you see his real personality, you're like, oh, you're nobody like this guy. <laughs> yeah. It, I was at a, um, I was at um, a Houston show, a Comic-Con, a Comic-Palooza, and, um, and they were disorganized. And he was supposed to there, – there wasn't anyone to introduce him. And he very quickly said, okay, you, go away. All right, take the mic. All right. He said, everyone line up who wants a question. And he says, all right, we're going to make this quick. And he says, you hand the mic, then you hand the next one. We're going to go back and forth. And very quickly he had the panel just rolling. And he was – because, yeah. you know, he's, he's very quick. He's very sharp. Um, and so, yeah, great guy. And uh, and you're right, just a very diverse, uh, fun actor. Yeah. Um, uh, so you you you've had your switch. 
Uh, what's next? All right, now, uh, did you go out and start getting other CDs or albums, or what? What was the uh, next in your Springsteen journey? The next thing I remember is I remember I was wearing out that VHS tape, and sure. uh, it it was that kind of thing where like I I have always had like kind of an obsessive personality. Yeah. And so like I would I would like play it in the background while I was doing stuff. I would play it when I had friends over and stuff. And uh, I had a buddy who came whose dad was like a garbage man. Okay. And so he would get these just big boxes of stuff from like closing retail stores and all this right. kind of stuff. And uh, he brought me uh, the LPs of the 75 to 85 box set. Oh, nice. And so it was really, it was, it's like at this point, my entire collection is born to run, born in the USA, a worn out VHS tape of the MTV concert. <laughs> And records of the uh, of the, the of the uh, box set. Yeah. And and for a while, uh, I, I actually I, I had even though we didn't have a lot of money and I didn't buy more CDs, what I did do is I went out and grabbed a bunch of blank tapes and yeah. recorded the records uh, so I could listen to it on my Walkman. Yeah. And uh, for for a long while until I got into high school and started working and and like making money independent of my parents. Uh, that was pretty much my entire uh, Springsteen collection was like those three albums and the VHS tape. About how old were you when the when the unplugged or plugged came out? So, well, how that old? was ninety three? Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I'd have been thirteen. Okay, and uh, and I did start working pretty young, so it was really only about a year, year and a half after because uh, my dad at the time owned like a small local grocery store, right? And in New York State. When you're 14, you can work with a lot of restrictions. Sure. Uh, but because my dad owned the store, he was able to work with the restrictions because it's just like, okay, fine. You know, you're only doing four hours here. You're only yeah. doing acts. You're only working to eight, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and when I was in high school, my folks had split up, and my brothers stayed in our old hometown with my mom, but I hated that place. It was okay. just a passion. And, uh, and so I moved out with my dad. Uh, not any judgment on my mom or my brothers sure, just because no. I, was, I can't be in this town, uh, which, you know, it fits perfectly with the Springsteen podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, when I, when I moved with my dad, it's just like, no, now I'm just working at the store all the time because yeah. as soon as I'm 15, 16 and I can do it. Yeah. Uh, and, and then shortly after that, his partner was embezzling money and we ended up selling our share of the store to him so that we could get out from under the debt and all that kind of stuff. So I, but I, even at that point, like I, I pretty much started working other places as soon as the store sure. went away. Um, and then, yeah, I remember, I remember being at the point where I was a big enough Springsteen fan and I had enough pocket change that when the mid nineties came around and you had uh, the greatest hits album, uh, I remember going to Media Play in the Shopping Town Mall, which yeah. uh, remember Media Play is like a Sam Goody store. Okay. And uh, going to their foreign section and dropping like thirty bucks on a Japanese import version of Philadelphia. Oh, how uh, fun! That had like it was the the Philadelphia single, and it had Secret Garden on it, and I want to say Murder Incorporated, and then another version of Secret Garden with like a different string arrangement. Yeah. Um, so we had Sound Warehouse um, mm -hmm. here in Dallas, and um, I I can remember um, 
the hype of that box set and yeah. going into Sound Warehouse and this huge display of, you know, and you could either get a cassette or you could get it on uh, LPs, and I got it on LPs. Um, and, and then I was just a casual fan. I You know, it just – but yeah. the hype of this, finally Bruce Live, oh, finally Bruce yeah. Live, you know, was enough to get it. Um, I haven't and, asked – I didn't – Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I, mean, I just I was I wasn't really cognizant of that because I I was like five six seven when that came out, but I will say it completely tracks because for anybody you've ever talked to who's yeah. like yeah I don't really get Springsteen the answer the answer that most people come back with is always you get it if you saw him live yeah I mean you do and and um you know and as uh, I've said often on the podcast right two kinds of people people go to their first show and go wow that was long. And the second people go, oh, my goodness, I need to see this as much as I can. Um, I haven't asked you. You've kind of talked about it a little bit. But can you put in words what about – and again, you've mentioned the moment where darkness kind of changed. But can you put in words why his music started speaking to you more than it had in the past? Uh, I mean, obviously, the with the darkness thing, it was literally just a sonic thing. It, yeah. it was just a – and I think it was because I was really big into Steppenwolf at the time. And that, like, key change or whatever, it felt like a Steppenwolf. Like, it felt like coming out of Monster Suicide America. Like, it felt like, ooh, this is somebody who's doing something cool uh, in the moment. Uh, and, and But thinking about Springsteen in that way instead of just as the guy who does anthems uh, made it easier for me to, uh, to kind of put some thought into the music. And I do think that pretty quickly, uh, the thing that started to resonate with me, because I, I, I always remember, uh, there's two things that I've always, since I was like 15, 16, always been really into Springsteen's music. One is these great little moments, these great little turns of phrase, and these great little musical yeah. beats. Um, and, and some of them are big and showy and obvious, you know, the drums from uh, uh, Born to Run. Yeah. Uh, some of them are, are less so. Like I, I, for the longest time, uh, when I was on AOL Instant Messenger in the 90s and early 2000s, my handle was Giant Exxon Sign. Oh, nice. Because that, the visual from, from Jungle Land, uh, of this, this place that's like such a dead end that the local landmark yeah. slash the thing that brings light is the gas station sign, uh, spoke to me as somebody who lives in, a town that at that time had one stoplight. Yeah. Um, and I, I, so, but in addition to the, the kind of those moments of like this great kind of spectacular, like turns of phrase, you know, uh, yeah. I, I remember loving the beginning of, uh, uh, no surrender. Sure. Um, the other thing is, is like the idea of the idea of Springsteen's characters as being, uh, in, not always, obviously, but in a lot of cases, these losers who are desperate for redemption. Yeah, you know? um, I think of John Stewart, you know, on the Kennedy Honors, talking about if you, you know, you're you're not a loser from Jersey, you're, you know, a loser in an epic Springsteen song. Um, kind of, did you know at this time you wanted to be a writer, and is that partly oh, why yeah, I, I spoke to you? I think it is absolutely part of why it spoke to me. I mean, I, I from a very young age, knew that I was going to be a writer. Uh, I didn't know I was going to be a reporter until later in life. Yeah. Uh, for a while, I thought I would, like, try my hand at fiction. Uh, 
But uh, I, cause I remember being like 11 and writing like a 30 page Indiana Jones fan fiction on my dad's typewriter. Yeah. <laughs> and so like that was, that was me as a kid. Uh, but I, I remember I didn't decide I was going to be a reporter until I was like 16 or 17 and I was taking a PSAT. And like part of the questionnaire was what's your major going to be? And I was like, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, you know, I'm a big comic book guy and, uh, and, I, I was starting to get into politics, mostly through Dylan and Springsteen. Yeah. Uh, and and so I I essentially decided on the spot, like, journalism, because, like, I can write, but there's, like, a steady paycheck in it, and I can do something good for the world. That's nice. Uh, as opposed to, like, trying to write an Indiana Jones movie and probably not failing, but even if I do, God knows if it's made a difference, you know? Yeah, that's that's neat. Did And so that was, that was, so that's, it's, Bruce is very much kind of wrapped up in all that. Pop music is, is wrapped up in a lot of that. I mean, when I was 17, I want to say, um, I learned for the first time that uh, Hurricane by Bob Dylan was a true story. Yeah. And, uh, and I thought to myself at the time, I was like, I wonder what that guy's doing now. And because the 90s, the late 90s, was like the wild west of the Internet, Yeah. I went on Excite, which was a search engine at the time, and, uh, and I searched for Reuben Hurricane Carter. And I found his office number, like, immediately. Wow. And called him and did an interview with him. Uh, and and so, like, a lot of everything that went on in, in my work and in my writing and in my kind of political life was really influenced by, like, Springsteen and Dylan. And, like, I remember sitting in uh, sitting in study hall and reading the, uh, the New York Times Sunday Magazine, the Steinbeck and Leather yeah. article about Ghost of Tom Joad. Yeah. And uh, I hadn't picked it up. It was like the journalism professor, the journalism teacher knew that I liked Springsteen, so she held it for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I remember sitting there reading it in class, and uh, like six months later, three months later, something later that year, uh, we had a, like a reading list, and it was like, okay, you got to pick one of these books and one of these books and do a big yeah. report at the end of the year. And Greg Zerath was on there. And... So my big, like, senior writing project, the thing that I had to dedicate, like, weeks of my life to, uh, was 100% in- inspired just by the fact that, like, well, The Ghost of Tom Joad came out last year, and, you know. Yeah. Um, and so that was that was one of those moments where it's just like, yeah, I, I look back and all of these weird things that aren't maybe necessarily, like, you don't think of them as, like, oh, I did that because of Bruce. Yeah. But, it's like, no, there's, there's DNA that wraps through all of this stuff. You you mentioned just a little bit, and I, we're going to get back to Bruce, but you mentioned you were into comics. Um, talk a little bit about that. How did you discover comic books, and uh, you know, were were you an independent Marvel DC guy? A little bit of all. It's it, a little bit of everything. Uh, when I was a kid, I was very Marvel, uh, and and. I don't remember a time when there weren't comics around. You know, my dad, yeah. like I said, ran slash owned a grocery store for my whole childhood. And so whether it was the stuff that didn't sell at the end of the week and he'd bring it home with no covers or whether it was the stuff that it would come in and he would, he'd be like, Oh, this looks really good. I'll bring it home and I'll pay for it. Uh, I always felt like there was a handful of little things sitting around. Okay. So Russ, I do not know. I I assume you do not know this story, um, but um, my earliest memory 
is going to work with my grandmother. My grandmother was the uh, manager of a post exchange, which is basically kind of a uh, on an army base. It's right, like yeah, a little department store. And right. I would go to work with her. I would go to the spinner rack, pick mm-hmm. every comic I want, go to her office. She would rip the cover off and <laughs> give me all the comics, and she would submit the covers to get credit. Right, as I'm told. Yes, and um, and so for the longest time in my life, I had no covers on comics. Yeah. You know, but I got all these comics, and I would just spin that. And so you saying your dad bringing home about <laughs> the cover just made me smile very high and, and very widely, and brought back great memories. Yeah, I could see. I, we're for the audience, we're talking on video, yeah. so I could, I could see your reaction, and I was yeah. like, okay, I'm going to finish this sentence and then let him talk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but so when I when I was a kid, I was a big Marvel guy uh, sure. because that they had such a huge share of the market that that tended to be what my dad would get at the grocery store. Sure. Um, if you're a grocery store instead of a specialty comic shop, in a lot of cases, he didn't actually get to order comics. Right. He just, he'd pay a lot a flat rate, and they'd bring in a set number of comics. And as long as they weren't like adults only, where you couldn't sell it in the grocery store, you don't yeah. complain. Um, and so I remember, like for years, I, I would just read whatever he brought back. And I, I remember it was a lot of Fantastic Four because Fantastic Four was going through kind of a drought and it wasn't selling that well. So he stripped the covers and bring them home, and it's like yeah. I, I have like five, six issues in a row. Uh, and then at one point, uh, I remember sitting at a buddy's house and. Uh, I was like spending the night at a friend's house when I was 11 or 12, must have been 12. And, uh, the local news came on. And I remember seeing this really striking green cover by, uh, an artist called John Badana. And it was, uh, Superman the Man of Steel number 18. And, uh, the local news report was on the fact that, uh, in a couple of months, Superman was going to die. Uh, actually, I think 17 may have been the green one. But anyway, the, the idea is, yeah. like, the, the, I remember this cover from this chapter before right. the Death of Superman story. Uh, because it's, it's like Superman fighting a bunch of these underworlders, which is these goblin guys that were in the books at the time. And at the end of that book was when Doomsday Fist first kind of hit the wall yes. and, and appeared. And so I, I remember asking my dad kind of directly, and it was the first time I'd ever really asked for a comic instead of just getting what I got. Yeah. And I was just like, hey, can you keep an eye open? I want to see this this Superman story. And at the time, I did not like Superman. I was mostly just, it was like that morbid curiosity of like, he's, sure. he's super strong. How are they going to kill him? Um, but if you remember that period of time, it was like uh, Dan Jurgens, yes. uh, Jerry Ordway, Louise Simonson, Roger yeah. Stern. Uh, it, it was the, the four Superman titles they published per month. First of all, the way that they ran the books time it ran essentially like one weekly book yeah so because you had the little diamond you know numbers yeah, yeah, so that way you could yeah, yeah the triangles that's right so you could know what order yes absolutely yeah and and so like but, but here's the thing I, I think this happened to a lot of people uh i came on out of morbid curiosity and didn't really care that much about yeah. superman but the creative teams on those books were just so damn good yes that you, I just, I felt like you got strung along forever because it was, just, it was always like, you know, maybe I'll leave after the next thing. Yeah. Um, but, but I, at that point, it was '92, and I read. Uh, at the time, I was, I was 
young and uh, like I said, we didn't have a lot of money. Yeah. I remember having a four hour allowance uh, per, per week. And I would spend the first buck 25 on a Superman comic and then you'd have 275 for the week. Yeah. And, uh, but I remember that my dad couldn't get Superman. Like he'd get action comics, adventures of Superman, Superman, the man of steel. He could not get Superman. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that was a distribution issue or if it was just because of doomsday and the fact that Superman was going to die in the Superman book. But I remember that was the first time I went to like a comic book store. Right. was shortly after Superman 75 came out, Superman died, and it sold like crazy. Right. Um, and it broke all kinds of records. It was the highest-selling book DC ever had, I think. And uh, they uh, after that happened, DC very wisely, because uh, the Superman books hadn't been super popular in the direct market. They sold really yep. well on newsstands. They didn't sell well in comic book stores. And so very wisely, DC saw what was happening and saw this explosion of demand in the direct market and figured out like what was what the next six months of their lives were going to look like. And so they rushed a version, like a trade paperback version of the Death of Superman story out uh, for like seven ninety five, I think. And it yeah. came out the same day as either the second or third print of Superman 75 came out, which yeah. uh, by the standards of that time was lightning fast. Yeah, because uh, the trade paperback market back then took usually like a year. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and so I, I very distinctly remember uh, walking into a comic book shop and setting up my subscription list mm-hmm. uh, and getting nothing but the Superman books and picking up uh, the Death of Superman trade paperback with the John Bogdanov cover where he's like bleeding everywhere. Sure. And a third print of Superman 75, because at that point, my dad hadn't gotten one in the store. I hadn't actually read the actual Death of Superman yet. Right. And this is, of course, pre-internet, or at least pre-internet sure. in a big way. You couldn't just go on and find a digital comic or something. Exactly. Uh, and uh, so that, that's how I really got into comics. And I always, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, when I started my internship in 1999 at Wizard Magazine, yeah. the very first day, uh, they were like, okay, there's two things I want you to do. First of all, uh, email wasn't a huge thing back then. So they're just like, here's a list of people that we want you to call and just call them. You introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Russ from Wizard. I'm going to be here for the next year or so. And that way, if some big breaking news thing happens and it's like sensitive, they maybe don't want to talk about it. Um, they know that you aren't full of crap if you have to call them. Okay. And, and so I said, okay, fine. And, and they're like, and, uh, while you're making these calls, there's this story that Dan Jurgens is doing. I want you to just get a couple of quick comments from him. And uh, Dan had been the writer and artist on Superman at that time when I was coming up. And uh, I just remember, like, thinking, like, oh, man, that's going to be scary. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) sure. Your first day on the job and, like, the guy you're interviewing is, like, your hero. Yeah. And so uh, we ended up chatting, and I think I came clean with him pretty early on that that was the mindset I was in. Sure. Like, hey, I'm Russ. I'm from Wizard. I got to talk to you about this, uh, this Legion Titans thing. But first, like, in case I'm an idiot, here's the deal. Yeah. And uh, we talked for like an hour and a half. Oh, wow. And uh, he later on, he called my editor. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting like my, my editor who never loved my stuff. Like he was the harshest critic and one of the best editors that I've ever worked with, but my, right. the harshest critic I've ever worked with. Um, I, I have a I have a, a kind of raw and very verbose style of writing. And sure. a lot of people who read my stuff think that I'm a natural writer because it, it comes off like storytelling. Right. Um, but it also, in a lot of cases, doesn't come off like magazine journalism. And so yeah. Joe would constantly be coming in and being like, what are you doing to me? 
Um, so like day one, Joe comes in. I've already kind of got the sense that this guy's kind of gruff. He doesn't love my writing. Yeah. And he's like, hey, uh, come to my office. I want to talk to you about Dan Jurgens." And I'm like, man, I wasted this guy's time for like an hour today. I'm screwed. And uh, and he I like got in there, didn't even close the door. He's like, hey, I don't know what you said to Dan, but he loves you. Like he wants me. He wants you to be the guy to call him for like a little while. So like, hey, call him about Thor in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and and at that time, Dan was doing. Uh, he was still writing Superman. He wasn't drawing it anymore, but he was doing Aquaman yeah. and Thor. And so, being the guy who talked to Dan was not a small job. And I ended up, after I was done with my internship, getting freelance work that no 20-year-old ex-intern should have been getting. But it was like, Dan liked me. The people there mostly liked me. (laughs) Um, uh, And I will say, because it's sitting here now, you can see this thing. uh, Oh, nice. Which I actually uh, got in the mail today. That's Uh, nice. for, for people listening who don't have the benefit of my webcam, I, I bought a, uh, a piece of charity art that Dan drew of Doomsday, the monster that killed Superman. <laughs> Very nice. Well, it, your story reminds me, and, and I quote this all the time at work, um, is Neil Gaiman's Make Good Art, you know, a couple of years ago when he did the graduation speech and the idea of you need to be talented, you need to be nice, and you need to be timely but you really only need to be two out of the three to be successful. <laughs> and, um, and you know, and I, I remember that in business all the time. And, yeah. and I think there is a truth to that, you know, um, and no one wants to be, you know, not to be considered talented, but the right. idea that um, if you're on time and you're polite, they will forgive a little bit, and oh yeah, and if you're going to be an sob, you better be on time and really good. Yeah, so. oh yeah, and I remember being—I I was definitely timely in those days. Uh, yeah. I mean, even now, I write you know between four and nine articles a day most days because wow. I have like 250 word breaking news kind of stories that aren't yeah. that long. But uh, when I was at Wizard, I had been working on a, a high school newspaper that published once a week and there was only like eight of us on staff. And so I would create a lot of content every week for yeah. the school paper. Sure. And then you go to your internship and uh, it was a monthly magazine. Yeah. And so, yeah, my pieces were a little bit longer, but I, I was an intern. I only got one, two, maybe three stories a month. Right. And it's like, I was eager to call Rob Liefeld and talk to him. Sure. Uh, and so I would knock out my, my three stories in the space of like four days. Yeah. And then spend the rest of the, the month of my internship, like looking for news on the internet and talking on instant messenger with comic book creators yeah. and going and like organizing the, the comics vault at wizard magazine, because it was just like, I got nothing else to do. Why don't I make myself useful? Absolutely. Um, I actually still have a, a over here somewhere a, a VHS tape of the Gen 13 animated movie pilot. Oh, how fun! And that was something that I borrowed from the the Wizard Vault, and did not intend to steal. Did not realize I had stolen it. And then uh, my internship was in 1999. I opened a box in about 2004 and found it. And you're like, oops. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, at this point, there's no sending it back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Russ and I were having such a great time that we continued to talk, so 
Russ and I continued to talk for another 40 minutes, so to keep it from having an exceptionally long episode, I'm breaking this one up into two parts. Um, I already have an episode scheduled for next Thursday, so this episode will come out a week from now, where you can hear the second part, where Russ and I will continue to talk about Springsteen comics and all kinds of other topics. So, see you next week. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Fed Listing Bruce. Set Listing Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.